Please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, come now and grow our faith. Come and deepen our hope. Come and strengthen our love. And come and water within each of us the desire to be your faithful family forever. Amen. Well, the last line of our call to worship this morning from Annabelle Adele. Our prayer was this, just to remind you what words you spoke, that we have a desire to center the wisdoms of those too often pushed to the margins, that we have a desire to center the wisdoms of those too often pushed to the margins, that we might bear witness to the complex truths of our holy, holy lives and the complex needs of our beautiful, broken world. I'm going to try and live into that with this morning's reflection. In other words, I'm going to try and center wisdoms from the margin, and I'm going to try and complicate things. So on Wednesday morning at 4 a.m., I heard a knocking. So I got up and went to my door. There was no one at my door. So I went back to bed. Then I heard some knocking. I thought, let me double check. So I went to my door and then I walked down my 21 steps into my office to see if anyone was in the offices. No one. I went back to bed. A third time, I heard some knocking. At which point I figured it must be from outside. So I went down and went onto the street and I saw a person leaning against one of the gates of one of the galleries that we rent out. And I said to him, I know what you're doing. You're stealing our brass windows little glass inlays which have been slowly disappearing. He said, no. I said, yes. He said, no. I saw that uh, there had been kind of paint removed and, and you can kind of see the broken bricks and tiles. And then I saw a sack on the ground. So I picked up the sack, at which point he grabbed the sack. So now we've got the sack between us. He must have weighed all of about 40 kilograms. So every time I moved the sack, he moved. And then he lunged at me with his tool that he had been using. And then two of his mates arrived with knives. Knives. 
To cut a long story short, we caught the thief eventually after running around town. I opened up the sack and there were two little pieces of brass that he had stolen. And I said to him, how much will you get for, for each piece? And he said, 10 rand. So that's 20 rand he got from us. And I said, and the rest in the sack? He said, that'll be another 10 rand. So that was 30 rand. The next morning, five o'clock in the morning, I hear screams. I look out my window and I see one human being beating up another human being. The one human being is on the ground and he's being kicked and stamped upon and there are three security people standing around not doing nothing but not doing enough to prevent the beating. So again I go down and discover that they had pepper sprayed the person on the ground, so not only was he vulnerable, he was blind, while this other person had beaten him up. Now, at this point, you're understanding the biblical nature of these events. Samuel and Eli. Samuel hearing a knock three times, and Eli finally figuring, aha, next time, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So what would it mean as a community if we had to say to these events, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening? Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. What is, what could, what could God be saying to us through these events? You see, when you come to church on a Sunday, you come at 10 o'clock in the morning, you park your cars and you walk peacefully here. Every now and again you get annoyed when someone begs from you. That's the way it is. You just hope you can get from the car to here without being interrupted. I know because it's the same for me. It's tiring. But there are two things I think that, that we need to hear spoken to us from these two events. One is the complete and utter desperation of so many human beings in the world, not least in this country, who will go to great lengths, great lengths of criminality to get what amounts to less than a cappuccino from heaven. That desperation comes out at night, literally crawls out of the the gutters, and weighs 40 kilograms. 
And it's held at bay in this city and around the world. It's held at bay by employed security to keep the desperate and the, the less desperate or the well-off apart from each other. The implicit systemic violence of exclusion and poverty requires explicit violence to hold it at bay. Now, it's into that context, that's 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, not 10 o'clock in the morning, that we enter into this, this passage of, of Scripture. Because this passage of Scripture is probably providing the world with the most important and urgent requirement of humanity that could possibly be voiced. That could possibly be voiced. That's the one thing. The second thing, what, what we hope to see this morning is how, how religion, and specifically the Christian religion, has been used over the years to exacerbate the problem rather than to address it and eradicate it by our particular way of interpreting the scriptures. So those two things we'll have a look at. So what's the story? Master says, I'm going away. Here are five talents to the one, two talents to the other, one talent, you know the story. And uh, the five makes another five two makes another two, and the master's really, really happy and says, you know, enter my kingdom. And the one who got just the one said, no, I knew you to be a harsh master, so I buried it, put it in the ground, and here it is. And the master said, so you knew, did you? You knew, you, you, you think you know me. Well, you think I, I reap where I don't harvest or scatter or whatever. I tell you what, I'm going to take that one away, give it to the one who, who made five upon his five, and uh, I'm going to send you out into the darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. Now, many of us have grown up with a particular interpretation of that passage. You will maybe remember from Sunday school. Maybe you've even done fundraisers. You know, when they give you 10 rand, and you must try and make more money, right? And sometimes the basis of that in Sunday school is this passage of Scripture. We give you 10, go and make 10, and then we celebrate your ingenuity, etc. And uh, I guess the message that has been taught, the overall message from this passage, is don't waste what God has given you. Don't waste what God has given you. I mean, who can argue with that message? Don't waste what God has given you. Can't argue with it. But the problem is it doesn't come from this text. That's not the message of this text, although we use the text for that message. Don't waste what God has given you. And the reason how we come to this conclusion is because we make one profound mistake in assuming that the master in the text is God. Now it's got to go a little bit easy on ourselves perhaps because we kind of follow the, the teachings of Jesus, other parables, where sometimes he does use the, 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 
designation as master as God, you know what I mean? So we kind of easily assume, well, this time it must also be God. But the moment we assume that the master is God, we end up with enormous problems about God. Who is this God who gives five and two and one? I mean, what God is that who gives five and two and one? I thought God had no favorites. But we kind of justify, no, it's talents. It's talents. It's kind of, you know, some people can, you know, serve and hit a ball and whatever. Okay, it's talents. And just use what you've got. Don't waste it because it's actually true. People have daring talents. So we, we kind of enter it into, into that way. We completely ignore the context of Jesus' day of hyper-inequality like South Africa today. Um, and, and we see the passage of Scripture through the lens of what we, or should I say, the dominant culture of today values. And what does the dominant culture of today value more than anything else? Growth. Growth. I mean, if you can grow something, you're a hero. Growth is the sign of success. So, we, we've accepted that as a value. It's an unquestioned value for most of us. So, we see and we say, five to ten, brilliant. The person growed it. That's why. And two to four, etc. You're getting the picture. But it's problematic because who is this harsh master that reaps where they haven't sowed? I, I, thought, I thought God was the gardener who generously sowed, even on hard soil, even on the pathways. I thought that's God's nature, to, to abundantly sow, not to be discriminatory. So, the next problem with this passage of Scripture is that, ask any tele-evangelist. When they've got one jet and they want a faster jet and they ever get cornered in an interview about, you don't think this is like a little problematic? They say, no, man. Remember the talents. Five to ten. Jesus just wants to bless you. And it's a sign, it becomes a sign of their faithfulness, right? Their riches become a sign that they and God are like, hmm, they're like there, all right? They're connected. It becomes a sign of that. And so this is where religion, and particularly this interpretation, needs to repent and confess its sin in the world because what it's done is endorse hyper-inequality in the world. And I, what I'm saying is this, how the scriptures have been abused to support patriarchy or to support racism or to support homophobia, here they're being used to support inequality. So, let me share again, I know I've done this before, but it's, a, it's such an important reminder and it allows me an opportunity to pay homage to my teachers who I've never met, uh, Chad Myers and William Herzog. First of all, 
if we change the assumption that Jesus, the master in the story, is not God, but indeed the masters of the world, the elite of the world, now let's enter the story. Meaning that Jesus is trying to bring to our attention the nature of the world, the structures of the world, the powers of the world, not the next life or anything like that. It's about human. In a, in a situation that Jesus was so aware with, aware of, of the inequality, of people doing criminal activity for 10 rand, plus another 10, plus another 10, that you could actually go to Polesmore Prison for 30 rand. Now, a talent in this story is not referring to whether you can hit a ball or not. A talent is 15 years of wages. So work it out. Those of you who, who are employed, and, and those of you not employed, the last employment that you ever had, work out what 15 years wages would come to. I'll give you, I'll give you half an hour to figure that out. Go on, try and, try and figure it out in your head. Work out what, the, what was the last paycheck you got. Times it by 15 years now. Let me take with what would be considered an easy sum, 10,000 rand a month. That's 120,000 a year times 15, 1.8 million is one talent. 1.8 million is one talent. So please notice, the example that is being used is not, I know the word slave or servant is used, but we're actually talking elite, unless you consider someone with 1.8 million rand not being elite, okay? Then we need to have coffee, you and me. So 1.8 million is just one talent. Two talents is 3.6 million. Five talents is nine million. Now, what do the two do? The 3.6 million doubled it to 7.2 million. The 9 million doubled it to 18 million. Just, just breathe that in for a moment. What would you be doing with 18 million bucks right now? Growth upon growth upon growth. Congratulations. However, back in the day, not today, but back in Jesus' time and before Jesus' time, the value that was actually meant to be cherished was social stability. And what people figured out was this, that what contributes to social stability is social equality. Inequality leads to social instability. And so if someone goes with five and comes back with 10, the question is not to congratulate this person who's now gone from five to 10, but to ask a question. Who has been left without five? Who's missing five? And what are they doing? The person who cooked two and made it four, the question is, no, who's, who's without the two? 
because it's creating inequality, which creates social instability. And we know that in this country better than anyone else because we're the most unequal country and therefore we're probably one of the most unstable countries in the world that are not explicitly at war. Now, I said we want to center the wisdoms from the margins. The third person, peasant, works the ground, let's say, knows about these things, all right? Not a peasant as such, but knows the things around the ground, has 1.8 million, a talent, and says, ah, oh, I'm going to plant it. Is humor here, because everyone knows if God wants it to grow, it will grow. If you want something to grow, and God wants it to grow, just plant it in the ground. And if it grows, we say thank you to God. If it doesn't grow, God didn't want it to grow. So here goes. We take the 1.8 million, which is, by the way, more than enough, and we plant it. And guess what? The message comes very clearly back from God. That's enough for you. You don't need more. I want to invite you to see, as William Herzog does, this person as a whistleblower. He's blowing the whistle on the economy. He's saying, I know who you are, you elite. I know who you are. You are exploiters and extractors. That's who you are. You are harsh. You, you reap where you haven't sowed. That's who you are. That's the system that we live in and work in here. I'm, I'm blowing the whistle. Now, please notice, it's a rich person blowing the whistle. It's a person with 1.8 million. Well, now that's seen as betrayal by the other people in the system. We don't need you coming to blow the whistle on the system. So you know what we'll do to you? We'll make your life very hard. We will cast you out into darkness where there'll be gnashing of teeth. In other words, you won't, <laughs> you won't be able to afford to buy electricity and you won't have food in your mouth. You'll just hear the grinding of your teeth. You'll be thrown out into outer darkness. You'll only come out into society maybe four or five in the morning. That's when you'll come out into society. person blows the whistle on the financial systems of this world that are dependent on endless growth to survive. Now, the last time I checked, any system that is dependent upon endless growth to survive is called a Ponzi scheme. Ponzi schemes are illegal for good reason. And yet the entire system operates like that. And the person who make it illegal have decided not to make that illegal. 
until one of their own blows the whistle. Then he has to be dealt with. So what happens? That system eventually collapses. And there are people who come out at night who will scratch away at it. And when they're caught, they'll be sent to prison. And we'll blame them for the criminality. How terrible crime is. But tell me, what is, what is surely a greater crime in this country? I'll just give one example. Surely an education system that doesn't educate people. Surely that must rate as one of the greatest crimes against humanity. An education system that does not leave the person educated to explore the fullness of their humanity and contribute to, their, to the world. An education system that impoverishes people. And yet it's not called criminal. No one is being arrested. But the results of that will arrive at our door at four or five in the morning when we will then feel justified to accuse and punish. And then we call for more police, more security, more pepper spray. But what we need is more teachers, more social workers, more schools. You, are you with it? We keep on getting it wrong. Do you know that from birth to puberty, a hamster doubles its weight every week? You didn't see that one coming, did you? It's called a... Huh? So let me repeat it, because I know it shocked you. From birth to puberty, from birth to puberty, a hamster doubles its weight each week. Now, if it didn't stop doubling its weight when it reaches maturity, by its first birthday, the hamster will weigh nine billion tons. I kid you not, nine billion tons. Please allow your imagination to run. I don't want you to forget this sermon. Nine billion tons and could eat all the corn produced annually worldwide in a single day and still be hungry. You see, nature knows that if you want to survive, you need, to, you need to adhere to some limits. And if we continually live without limits, ultimately we will contribute to our own demise and death. Now, two examples when this has been done. You've done it, all of you here. 
which makes you quite remarkable, actually. Only a group of people in the world. Under day zero, when we were reaching day zero around the drought, we were the first city in the world of the, of the size of Cape Town, and since, that halved its water consumption. The first city in the world. People are using that example all around the world today to figure out how to do it. It was not without severe consequences, though. Tourism. An entire industry nearly went bang as a result. So, what people are trying to put together now is every city in the world is going to have to reduce its water consumption, but how do we do so in a way that doesn't cause the ripple effect of such devastation as what happened in Cape Town? People were literally not traveling to Cape Town, not because they didn't want to come here, because nobody, they said, how can we go and drink their water? So, there's one example of a society coming together and reducing our consumption, and that is going to be the new normal in the world. The problem is, we keep thinking the person next to us must reduce theirs. And my last hopeful example is not only have we done it, but sometimes, you know, we are inclined to think that one person can't make a difference or that leadership doesn't make a difference. Do you know that under the Lula administration in Brazil, he was elected into office last year. Do you know that deforestation over the last year is down 49% of the Amazon? deforestation has dropped 49% in one year because of one new leader and one new administration. There is a person, there is an administration saying we need to live with limits so that we can continue life. So somehow, you and I, I think our work, certainly the work that I want to be involved with for the next years of my life, is to somehow address this. And it will mean addressing myself as an elite and the elites. It will be blowing the whistle on the systems of inequality, of, of, of just worshipping growth upon growth. It will mean myself having to learn to live with less and less and live more simply. And I'm convinced that simple living can only take place to the extent that we enter into community. That's the, that's the hard thing of riches. That's why rich people, oh, I'm going to struggle to get into the kingdom. The reason is because as a rich person, I can, I can just exist on my own and supply all my needs. 
and live outside of community. And so as we begin to explore how we can live simply, how we can begin to share when I have and you share when you have, that's the vision that Christ, the radical vision that Christ brings to us. And that's the vision that the poor live with every day. So let's go back to day zero. Some of us changed our lifestyles for, Jane, for day zero. But the overwhelming majority of people didn't have to change their lifestyles because their lifestyles are on the bare minimum to begin with. They didn't have to watch how long they showered or bathed because they don't have a shower or bath. The poor live this. Now, that's not to praise poverty at all, please. But please, let's see that there are people burdened with the, the, the systems of this world. They burdened with, they carry the burdens of them in their daily life. And too often we criminalize them when they're caught, when they're just trying to make a living. So I hope this complicates things for you. I hope you leave here and, and at lunch with others if you're fortunate enough to have food to eat, that you will have a discussion on how we can do things differently, how we can reduce, how we can share, how we can be more generous, how we can speak to the powers that be. And some of those powers are in our own families. How do we have the conversation in our own families? Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Let's pray together. So, loving God, the disturbances in the, in the night times of our life are unsettling. But we invite your spirit to, to use them to understand your heart, to understand Jesus' teaching, and ultimately that we may be set free. So help each one of us here, Lord, what, whatever we do in life, Help us to live with the question of how we can bring social stability through social equality. And what would that look like? And what could we do to enable that to happen? So help us to have, I guess, the courage to go on this journey. Set us free from judgment of ourselves and others so that we may be free to simply do the work that needs to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well,